Good evening. I'm glad to see everybody out tonight, so it makes me happy. <laughs> um, thanks, Jordan, for reading that scripture. Uh, as he said tonight, we're going to be in Matthew, the sixth chapter, and uh, we're mainly going to be looking at verses 25 through uh, about verse 34. So if you want to, I invite you to go ahead and turn there. Uh, and the topic I chose for tonight was why worry. I figured, you know, since the holiday season's coming up and, you know, people tend to get a little more anxious and hyped up, I figured why not talk about worry and stress. So uh, it seems like today we're living in a time that many refer to as the age of anxiety. Uh, it seems that worry is basically the watchword of our world today. No job, we worry. We've got a job, we worry. We're sick, we worry. Not sick, we worry. Money, we worry. No money, <laughs> we definitely worry. <laughs> so, uh, I heard one worrier say to another, I have so many troubles that if anything happened to me today, it'd take me two weeks to get around to it. <laughs> so uh, now we know that life, we, I mean, we can't go through life without worrying at all. You know, there are different stresses throughout the day, throughout the day, excuse me, as I get tongue twisted. Uh, there are different stresses throughout the day that you know, do happen to come up. Uh, but, for example, you know, being concerned about having an automobile wreck, uh, you know, it causes us to practice safe uh, rules on the road. You know, it causes us to drive safer and put our seatbelt on. Uh, another thing, you know, just like concern over being ill or becoming sick uh, makes us want to you know, wash our hands more and try to practice uh, good health. So, however, the problem is it's easy to let our concerns become our cares and our forethoughts become our fear thoughts. So, uh, there are different kinds of worries. Uh, people who worry about things that have already happened. Uh, in the Bible, it basically states that this is very futile and very frivolous. It's a silly thing to do. Worrying about that which has already happened is basically like trying to solve sawdust. It's really pointless and it's not going to help you accomplish anything. Uh, I've also heard it said that uh, worrying is also like trying to put toothpaste back in the tube. It just won't work. You're going to have to scrub it all in. So uh, past deeds simply cannot be undone. Or past words can't be unsaid. If the past involves sin, though, however, uh, we need to obey the conditions of pardon. You know, go through and read your Bible and study the conditions of pardon, and God will abundantly forgive if you ask for it. Uh, in Z Isaiah 55, 6 through 7 it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him when he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, when God forgives you, don't be afraid to forgive yourself. Uh, Lloyd George, who was a former prime minister of England, once said, I've made it a practice of my life to close the gate behind me. And that is, what ha that is what we need to do with things that have already happened. We've already stepped through the gate. We've already, you know, made the journey. Why not just close the door and, you know, turn the next page in the uh, chapter of our lives and keep moving forward? Why do we need to constantly look back and worry about the things that we really have no more control over? So, uh, next, people tend to worry over things that will inevitably happen. Uh, some people worry about dying, but we all die, as it says in Hebrews 9:27. And then some worry about growing old, but we're all going to grow old. It's a fact of life. We're all going to age and you know, get that pretty gray hair that you know, everybody says they love so much. <laughs> so uh, Some people also tend to worry about things that will never happen. 
Uh, I found a study that said 80% of all things we worry about never happen. And then uh, one of my professors at school, he's a Mark Twain fanatic. He said the, that Mark Twain once wrote, I have worried over a great many things in life, the most of which have never happened. If we spend our whole life worrying about what's going to happen or what might happen, we're never going to get anywhere. Uh, basically, we're going to be like a rocking chair, you know, just sitting there rocking back and forth and not really going anywhere. Uh, moving on, it says... Uh, Lord's classic text on worry. Basically, we're going into now uh, what he's been saying throughout the Bible. Worry is unnecessary because our Heavenly Father, he already knows our needs. Uh, in verse 32, you can see that where it says, For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Uh, another thing, worry is very cruel. In Matthew 6:26, in that same passage, it says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than them? It's very, very futile to think that we're worth less than a bird. God created us, you know, specifically in his own image, uh, as we find in Genesis. And to think that he would care so much for a little bird who doesn't even store up anything for the winter, who just trusts in God that God's going to take care of him is very, very silly. Uh, worry is also prohibited. Uh, do not worry. It's said three times right here in this passage we're talking about tonight. Three times God says don't worry. And also throughout the Bible it's said 103 times, uh, also in the context of be not afraid or do not fear. The same Lord that made belief and baptism essential is the same Lord who said don't worry. Worry is also heathenish. Uh, for after all these things the Greeks seek in verse 32. Jesus is saying that the worry is not a characteristic of the child of God. Uh, worry also shows a lack of faith in God. Uh, in verse 30 it says, O you of little faith. Human reasoning produces doubt. Doubt produces fear. And fear produces anxiety. Uh, now if you have your Bibles up, uh, I would like for you to turn with me to John 14, verse 1. Here it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So, uh, why worry leads to sin? Basically, it's a complete disregard for God's commands. Uh, if you now turn with me to Philippians 4, 6, we're going to read this one. It says here, uh, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We can take anything to God in prayer. We have a wonderful sense of communication that God has set up for us through prayer. Basically, if we take it to Him, He already knows that it's on our hearts, you know, but he knows that we're willing to take care of it, and it's a bigger problem in our life. And basically, if you're not willing to take it to him, there's no sense in being worried about it. Uh, also, now let's look at 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Here it says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, 
we are concerned about obeying the other commands of God, why not this one? Why don't we want to obey this one? I mean, we tend to, you know, think, yeah, you know, everyone kind of gets that idea that, yeah, God's going to take care of us. But in the back of my mind, most of us secretly know, oh, we don't really know what's going on. You know, why not have that full and complete trust in God that he's going to take care of you no matter what comes? Also, another thing, it it deters from duty and is a silly waste of time. Studies have shown that only 8% of what we worry about are legitimate things to worry about, things that actually happen. Um, Energy spent in worry could be bitter spent elsewhere. You know, the time we take worrying, why not take it out and help, you know, someone in the community, help someone that's sick, go visit them, or, you know, take time to write a card, you know, and send it to somebody. It's so impressive of how much a little card or a little forethought that you, know, you send to someone can mean so much to and can brighten their day. Uh, another thing, since I am planning to be a doctor, I had to throw this one in there. Uh, worry, it impairs your health so much. Uh, have you ever heard the term, he worried himself sick? Well, it can certainly be expressed to this. Excess worry can cause high blood pressure, fatigue, hives, ulcers, mental disorders, insanity, and even suicide. And uh, being in college, a lot of the kids there, they're wanting to get into psychiatry because there's so many new job openings. I mean, you can tell that it's flourishing as a study because the world is so worried and they're so stressed over the little things that's going to happen. Well, most of the time, if you just rely on God, everything's going to be okay. First uh, Corinthians 6:15 through 20 teaches us not to harm the body, and therefore worrying is something that we should not do because it's harming our bodies. Uh, Worry is also a robber. It robs one of joy, happiness, and peace. Uh, Worry, if you look at it uh, in its original definition, it's meant to strangle, or it says it was meant to strangle, a continual snapping or biting to shake and mangle with teeth. Worry grasps us by the throat and shakes us around and basically, that's why we got the term, I'm shaken up. You know, I'm so worried about what just happened or what is happening. But yet the Bible tells us the need to rejoice. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians 4.4 4 says. Rejoice evermore, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Uh, worry is also prohibitive against our prayers being answered. For prayers to be answered, they have to be asked in faith. Let's look at uh, James 1, verses 5 through 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We can't ask God for something and then worry whether or not he's going to do it for us. He's already told us, if you study throughout the text, that if you ask him, he's going to answer you with three options. Yes, no, or just wait a second. There's no need to worry because it's his plan. It's his divine plan that he set forth for us on this earth. So why worry? He's already got it all mapped out for us. So uh, worry is also just distrusting God. 
Uh, we must not be like the man who prayed for protection and then throughout the night stayed up to see if God would come and protect him. Uh, now that we've talked about worry and we know we have a good definition of it, uh, let's look at some ways to overcome worry. Uh, the first one I have here is make up your mind that you're going to conquer it. We must not allow our thoughts to push us around. We can't let what we think up here to move us around and to have us to be timid the whole day. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, one of the, this nation's greatest presidents, said, I have been as happy as I have made my mind to be. You can choose to worry, and you can choose to be sad, and you can choose to be down, but it's not going to get you anywhere. Just like that rocking chair, you're going to be rocking back and forth and not getting anything accomplished, not going anywhere. Uh, also, we need to form the right relationship with God if we're going to overcome worry. Uh, now let's look at Philippians 4, 7. Here it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The closer we are to God, the fewer worries we're going to have, simply put. The closer you are to God the fewer worries you're going to have. Next, we need to develop the right attitude of mind. First, you've got to look at the silver lining. Second, count your blessings. I mean, we just had Thanksgiving, but, you know, it kind of seems that throughout the years we've kind of seen that Thanksgiving's kind of been diminished and it's kind of been pushed over by, you know, Black Friday and, you know, everyone's trying to get in to get the best deals when, you know, the day before we're all supposed to be thankful for what we have. You know, count your blessings. God has given us so much. I mean, he's also the God that sent his one and begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. So don't concentrate on the bad things just to neglect the good. Uh, next, do what you can and turn the rest over to God. Uh, we must trust God. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. Uh, also in Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Uh, next, we need to live one day at a time. Yesterday is buried and tomorrow unborn. The best way to prepare for tomorrow is to fulfill the duties of today. Do what you can today. That way, later on down the road, you don't have to worry about it. Matthew 6.34 tells us a little bit more about this. Uh, it says, no one, excuse me, Max, Matthew 6.34, excuse me. <laughs> Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own. For it's about its own things, excuse me, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Uh, next, we need to engage in purposeful work. Do what you like to do. Make what you do in everyday life purposeful. You know, make it have meaning. Uh, even in Eden, God saw the need for employment to ensure man's happiness. Uh, you can find that in Genesis 2.15. Uh, he, he was a wise man who said that he had no time for worry. For in the daytime, he was too busy, and at night was too sleepy. Next, try to enjoy your life on earth while it's here. We're not promised tomorrow, as I said earlier. And we're not 
I mean, the things in the past, we can't do anything about. They're done. They're gone. So try not to worry as much as you can. You've got to go out and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for all the many blessings you give us throughout the day and throughout our lives, Lord. We thank you so much that we have this avenue of prayer to come and talk to you with, Lord. We thank you that we can cast all, your, all of our cares and burdens on you because you care so much for us. Lord, thank you so much for this congregation. And Lord, thank you for letting us uh, young men be able to lead service tonight. I pray that you continually be with us. And it's in your most holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Good evening. I would like to start by thanking everybody for coming tonight. I would also like to thank Jared and the elders for giving us this opportunity. Tonight, I would like to talk about God's power. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This verse shows that God has the strength and that he also can give us the strength. And those are the two points I would like to talk about tonight. If you would, turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The first way God shows that he has power is through the creation. In Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In chapter 2, it says that there was darkness. And then in 3, God said, Let there be light. And then there was light. The same thing happens on days 2 through 4. God says what he wants to happen, and then it does happen. And he is pleased with what he has created. It shows that he has power because whatever he says happens and then it happens exactly the way he envisioned it and exactly how he wanted it. If you would, turn over to Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. Another, another way God shows his power is through the great flood. In Genesis 11, it says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Here God realizes that there is violence in the world, and that the people are not following his ways. So he goes to Noah and tells Noah that he is going to destroy the world. Uh, then God gives Noah his directions on how exactly he wants him to build the ark. In Genesis 6:17, God says, And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on earth shall die. There he tells Noah that he's going to bring a flood and everything that's on the earth is going to die. Down in chapter 7 at verse 4, God says, For after seven more days I will cause it to rain on the, on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of earth all living things that I have made. There he tells Noah once again that in seven days it's going to rain. And it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, in Genesis 7.10, And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was on earth 40 days and 40 nights. In those verses, exactly what God said to Noah a few verses earlier, it happens. Seven days later, it started raining, and it rained for 40 straight days and 40 straight nights. Over in Genesis 
It says the waters prevailed 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered. It rained so much that it covered the tops of the mountains. In verses 21 through 23, it says, And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man. And in those nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life. And that was the dry and that what that was on dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were, on, who were with him on the ark remained alive. And there it says everything that was on planet earth, on dry land, died, except for Noah and him and the animals, his family and the animals that were with him in the ark. The next... God also empowers us. He has the power, and he also gives us the power. If you will, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. This is the story of David, or, uh, David and Goliath. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of a spear was like a, a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went before him. He had everything that a fighter could want. He was six cubits in a span tall, which is about nine feet, nine inches. He had a bronze helmet. He had a coat of mail. He had bronze armor on his legs, a bronze javelin, an iron spearhead, and a shield bearer. Down in verse 38 through 40, it says, So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Here, Saul gave David armor, but Saul, uh, David did not want it, so he takes it off. In verse 40, it says, he took his staff, and he chose for himself five smooth stones. So Goliath had everything that you could need to fight, and all David had was five stones. In verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Well, David had the one thing that was most important. Goliath might have looked like he had it all, but David had God on his side, which was the most important thing. Down in verse 49 says, Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. So that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, and drew it out of his sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. In those verses, David has killed Goliath because he has God on his side. That's the one key difference between the two. Goliath had all the weapons and armor, but David had God on his side. 
Um, if you would, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. We can see that God, through his power, gives us everything that we need in this life. If you would turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even, piercing even to their divisions of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's power can be seen in those who live by his word. The question is, have you given your life to God? If you have not, first thing you need to do is hear the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. Believe that he who he is who he says, Mark sixteen sixteen, repent, Luke thirteen five, confess, Romans ten, nine and ten, and be baptized, Acts chapter two, verse thirty eight. If you haven't put your faith in God and his word, which can change you, please come now while we stand and sing. <laughs>